So when you think of uh, Christians, uh, think about how the world views Christians. Many Christians are, are viewed by the world as radicals. Um, even you personally, by your family. Uh, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, some of your family members thought you were crazy, you were radical, you're nuts. And unfortunately, uh, we often get this idea or we get this perspective that people view us as radicals, but not for the right reason. Uh, for instance, Christians are seen as hypocritical and judgmental and not very good at seeing their own weaknesses, their own failures. Uh, Christians are seen as um, dishonest. Um, if you just have to watch prosperity preachers um, on TV, and after a short period of time, you realize that these, many of these uh, people are nothing but hucksters and they're just looking to get money from the poor and the widows. And so, in a, in a lot of ways, that title, that, that idea of being radical is, is deserved because we have, under the name of Christ, under the name of Christianity, we have been, looked radical, but in a negative way. What we want to look at this morning is how Paul describes a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are radical. We are different. We are new creatures. We've been created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works. And that's essentially what Paul's been saying in the book of Ephesians. He's saying, that's who you used to be, but that's not who you are now. That you need to put off the old way and put on the new way. You need to renew your mind. And then he describes what that looks like in the day-to-day -day life of a follower of Jesus Christ. That you are a radical. You are different than who you used to be. That's not, you're not who you used to be. You're different. And if the world were to see what true Christians, what, we were, what Paul describes us to be, it would make a difference. And it would be a positive thing. It would be described as something really super positive. And so that's what we want to look at this weekend. We want to look at what does it mean to be a radical Christian or the true you, the one that God is designing you to be, but it's different than, than what we may have this idea or what the world has an idea about us. So if you would, turn into, in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and let me just read some of, the, uh, some of this passage. It's going to really end the chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 29. Paul describes this idea of what does it look like to be a radical Christian in a good way? What does it look to be, how does this describe the new you, right? And so Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's a good start. <laughs> but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgive you, get, forgave you. So, so how do we live as radicals in a world that is pagan? And what I mean pagan is they don't bow to G Jesus. They don't bow to God. They don't love the same God that we love. They don't love our Savior. And they're living their lives for themselves selfishly. And they're living for their own, their own gods, whatever those might be. That's pagan. 
But we're not pagan. We're different. We, we have bowed to Jesus. We love God. And, and we're new creations. And we're new creatures. And we've put off. And we're putting on. And we're renewing our minds. What does it look like? He gives us four things in this passage that we want to look at. The first one is this. And it's very, very basic. Verse 29, he says, you need to watch your words. You need to watch your words. And, and he uses the phrase... Uh, this idea, the word here is rotten, spoiled, or putrid words. Don't let these rotten, spoiled, putrid words leave your lips. And, and, and too often we think, well, my problem is my mouth. I've got a big mouth, or I've got a, a filthy mouth, or I've got a mouth that just is it's just too quick. It's, it's, it, I speak before I think, and all that. Your problem is not your mouth. Your problem is your heart. And you know what? If you don't figure that out, you'll never get a control of your tongue. You'll never get control of your mouth because your problem isn't your mouth. Your problem is your heart. Look at what Jesus says. This is so interesting. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he says this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of uh, the good stored in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. But I tell you that everyone will give an account to, on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, this is a really important passage to understand because Jesus gets to the literal heart of the issue. Have you been around people who are angry? Their words are all angry. Or you've been around a person who is filthy. Their mind is filthy. Their heart is filthy. And you just hear filthiness come out. Have you been around somebody who's worried, and all you hear is worried? Uh, words. Have you been around a person who is just fearful and you just hear fearful words? Jesus is out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. So you can't control your mouth unless you get a hold of your heart, right? And so Jesus warns us, and, and this is the second part of the passage that I don't like. I wish he had just said, okay, the problem was with your heart, fix your heart. But he doesn't go on. He says, but here's the thing. Every careless word that you utter, you'll be held accountable for. In fact, there'll be a playback. <laughs> Rewind that. Go to the tape. No, I don't want you to go to the tape. I want it to be forgotten. I don't want to deal with it. But Jesus warns us that our words are powerful. They're, they're important. And we're going to be held accountable. Um, you know, the book of James, if you go to James chapter 3, it has some in interesting illustrations. Basically, James says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. Okay, that's not too encouraging. But I think he's getting at the same thing to Jesus, that if you have a bad heart, you're going to have bad words. But it's interesting because he describes the tongue and he says it's like a small bit in a big horse. It can pull that horse and direct that horse, stop it, start it, direct it left and right. It can control the horse, a little small bit. He says a little rudder on a, on a big ocean liner, that little rudder can turn that boat. He says a little small spark, a little small, just a little flick, a little uh, muffler thing, a little, a, a little campfire, a little, just a little match can start a forest fire and burn down houses and neighborhoods, forests to the ground. And he says the tongue is like that. The tongue can destroy like that. Here's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, this is Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, your words can either give life or they can take life. Your, your, your words have the power to give or the power to take away. 
Think of how many marriages have been permanently damaged by careless, angry words. Words said in the fit of anger, and they come out, and they just plant themselves and destroy and divide. Think of how many children have been seriously harmed by harmful words. Words like, you'll never amount to anything. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You know, just words like that. You know, we use that, 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 that children's phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of baloney. Some of you, you have had words said to you years and years ago, and you remember the moment, you remember the person, and you still carry that burden. Maybe it was a father or a parent, a mother or a friend or a teacher or something, and they said something about you or to you, and it harmed you. It left a mark on your life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Words have that kind of power to destroy. Your words have the power to destroy or to create uh, an interesting passage. You don't have to turn there because you already know most of it. Uh, it'll be very familiar to you. Genesis chapter 1. Look at what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now we know that. We know that passage, right? God is looking at the creation and it's before it's created. It's formless and void. There's nothing really going on. And then the first words, look what it says. And God, what does it say? Said, let there be light. Do you know it goes on eight times and it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. What is happening here? The, the creation is taking place. God is taking formless, formless, uh, uncreated things and making them, bringing order and creative power through his words. What does it say in Genesis, or in John 1? It says, in the beginning was the word, Right? And, and, and what does that mean? That means that Jesus is the, the, the message from God. God uses language. Language. God, God's words are powerful. God's word brought our creation into play. It, it brought our creation to where it is. The power of his created word. Words have power. And, and let me just say this. Not as much as God, obviously. But your words have power within them. They absolutely do. Your words, human language, bring power to either, either create or destroy, to build up or to tear down. Look at what Proverbs uh, 16, 24 says. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. There's a time where uh, David is, uh, in, he's, you know, wearied from battle and stuff. And he's just kind of, kind of come to the end of himself. And they, some of his men sneak out and they get some, some honey, a honeycomb, and they give it to him. And he's like, he's revived. And that's the idea. That's what your words can do. They have the power. You've had people right in your life where you've come, you, you just come to the end of your day or you've come to a difficult time and you've had somebody just breathe life into your, into, brought life through their words, through their encouragement, through their conversation. You've had those positive teachers, those, those positive parents, those friends in your life that come across and, and they come into your life and they bring life and healing and hope into your life. Let me ask you a question. 
How will your words, how will you use your words this week? Will they create or will they destroy? So basically what, what, what Paul is saying, he's saying, you're, the new you should change your conversation because your heart is changing. And if your heart's not changing, your words won't change. But when your heart changes, your words will change. Second thing he says is that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so the phrase I'm just using is keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, I read a book a number of year, years ago by J.A. Packard, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, which is on the Holy Spirit. And I just thought that was great because that's really what it comes down to. I often say that the goal is not to walk ahead of God or behind God, but with God, and to keep in step with the Spirit. And what we do is, the Bible tells us that when we, when we give our lives to Jesus because he gave his life to us, that he gives us his Holy Spirit, that his indwelling Holy Spirit dwells within us, and um, that the Spirit dwells within us and will never leave us. Now, here's the thing. Every time you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Some people think that God gets angry when we sin. And, you know, to a certain extent, I think that's true. But I think what's more interesting and surprising is that what Paul says is that God grieves when we sin. Think about that as a parent. It makes sense. Because when your kids are making bad decisions and doing things that are contrary to what you taught them, you, there's, a, there's a certain amount of anger, but there's a certain amount of terrible, deep sadness. When your son or daughter goes down a path, a, a, a wayward path, it breaks your heart. It doesn't necessarily make you angry. It breaks your heart. And so it would make sense that God does the same thing, that when you sin, there's, there's probably an anger there, but there's more than that. There's a sadness. There's a tremendous sadness because God comes into us, our life as his spirit to guide us and direct us and to comfort us and to help us. And, and when, we, when we basically sin, when we sin, we ultimately, what happens is the spirit of God pulls back. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. He pulls back. You know, remember the old uh, driver ed cars? And they had the dual wheels. You know, the driver ed teacher in the passenger side had the wheel and the pedals. And, you know, when you're about ready to get into trouble, you feel the wheel go and you know, oh, yeah, you know, or hit the brake or something like that. You needed that help, right? But here's what happens. The minute that you grab onto the wheel of your life, the minute that you take over, the minute that you sin, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit pulls back. I mean, you could literally, you, you can't literally do this, but you could, you could picture the Spirit of God in the, in the passenger side as you're grabbing onto the wheel and you're, you're, headed, you're heading your life away from God's will. You're sinning. And you could picture the Holy Spirit just pulling back and saying, you're on your own now. I'm not going to leave you but you're driving. He doesn't depart from us, but it grieves him. Filthy talk, stealing uncontrolled anger, lying, any other vice saddens him and causes him to pull back. He remains with us but because he loves us, but he steps to the background. Some of you right now in this room, some of you online, you have grieved the Holy Spirit and maybe the one thing you need to do this weekend right now is you need to stop and you need to say, God, I have sinned against you and I've 
grabbed onto the wheel. I am now taking my hands off the wheel and I'm giving my life back to you because it belongs to you in the first place. I've been bought with a price. I'm just a lump of clay and I thought I was more and I realize I'm not. But I ask you to forgive me and I'll make things right with whoever I need to. But I've, I need the Spirit of God to take over control again because I've grieved him too long. question is, who's driving your life today? By the way, interesting side note, he says not only do you grieve the Holy Spirit when you sin, but you are sealed for the day of salvation by the Holy Spirit. That word is very interesting, that word sealed. Do you remember when Jesus was taken down from the cross? Um, it's interesting, the, the religious leaders were well aware of what Jesus was saying. They, they understood what he was saying. They knew that Jesus, that Jesus had predicted that in three days he would rise from the dead physically, that he, there would be a resurrection. So they basically said to Pilate, they said, we need you to get soldiers to guard the tomb because we're afraid that, that the, the disciples are going to steal the body and pull the body out and kind of make a hoax that he rose and they'll say, he rose, look, the, you know, and, and we can't have that happen, so we need a guard there. Now, what they didn't know was the disciples had no clue. <laughs> they had no plans. But Pilate said, we'll give, you know, I'll give you a guard and we'll put a seal on the tomb. That's the same idea, the same word, seal. What he's saying, what the seal, what the Roman seal meant was this. You mess with the tomb and by the way, it wasn't just a guard like Sergeant Schultz. It was, it was many men who guarded the tomb. And basically what it meant was if you messed with the tomb, if you tampered with it, if you did anything with it, you declared war against Rome because the tomb was sealed by Rome. It had the, seal, the mark. It had the seal. It had the guard. In the same way, the Spirit of God is to guard our salvation, that no one will pull us away from God, that we, we, he doesn't leave us, he steps back, but he never leaves us. And he says that, that's what he says, you're sealed, you're sealed. So, watch your mouth, keep in step with the Spirit. Number three, get a handle on your anger, verse 31. Now, anger in itself is not a sin, I mean, there are some things in life you should be angry about. When you see, uh, you know, child abuse, when you see uh, trading, sex trading, when you see uh, abuse going on of people and nations, when you see the people living in squalor, and that, that should make you angry, that should upset you, that should, 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 you should be disappointed and discouraged and angry about that. There are some things in life that are, that are so, they're so vile, they're so awful that they should make you, they should make you angry. But, I mean, Jesus was angry when he cleaned out the temple, right? There was, there was a righteous indignation there. And I think we need to be very careful because sometimes we call bad behavior righteous indignation, but that's a whole other thing. You know, think about this. Nuclear energy is, 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 is so powerful that it can, it can power a whole city. A nuclear plant can power a city, multiple cities. But if it melts down, it can absolutely destroy that city for years, hundreds of years. Chernobyl is a good example of that, right? Just destroyed, decimated. No one can live there anymore. 
It's unhabitable, right? And this is the problem. Nuclear power, when it's harnessed, is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It can power a city, but it can also destroy that same city forever. Basically, anger is the same way. And You know, we use the phrase, he's going nuclear. <laughs> he's losing it. <laughs> he's going to blow, <laughs> right? You've been around people like that where they're just they're getting more and more upset and they're getting ready and they're just getting ready to blow and you go, there they go, right? It's, they're out of control. Have you been there before? Um, here's what I've learned about my anger. Most of the time, my anger is really about my, e- my own ego. Uh, Carol and I were talking about something that happened a day or so ago, and we were driving yesterday, coming back from visiting our, a couple of our family members, and on the way back, we were talking about it, and I realized as I was analyzing it, I was thinking about why it had happened and why I was getting more and more upset and angry and what it came down to was there were a number of other things that had happened that she had no idea that were contributing to that and that brings me to the 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 point here and Paul talks about you know different kinds of anger he talks about so so to tie up that whole story basically we had we talked through it and said I was this was upsetting me, this was, this, and this was going on. It had nothing to do with this, but, and you didn't know that, but this caused us to have a little bit of a, a tension there that we had to work through, and we did work through it. Uh, but it, was, it, took us, it took me time to analyze it, that there were other issues going on. But Paul instructs us, he says, this is what you got to watch out for. He talks about bitterness, uh, and that's a heart of resentment. Hebrews uh, 12, 15 warns us that, that anger can lead to a heart of bitterness. Have you met somebody who has a root of bitterness in their life? Uh, they're bitter about this. They're bitter about that. And they're just whatever. You, you just, you, it's like a sinkhole. It's like you get next to them, they're going to pull you down. I mean, they're going to be like two uh, battery terminals and they're like a bar between them. It's just, if you go in with all the energy and all the positivity in the world, uh, you'll leave that place and you'll go, I'm just so, I'm just so angry and I'm so negative what happened here or rage or anger those are like outbursts of wrath or quiet seething sometimes people just just blow up right away right and another and maybe you were raised in a family that's what that's how you dealt help with conflict you were a conflict like you just you just dealt with it you you face on head first you yelled you screamed you got over it you're Italian that's the way you are right and then some of you maybe you ha- you dealt it and you was like keep it in keep it in keep it chin up don't talk about it you know co- you know keep it keep it together um, he talks about brawling and slander that's physical or verbal uh, quarreling and some, many times verbal quarrel, quarreling can lead to physical uh, fighting and it just escalates but it really comes down to your own ego really in the end it really comes down to your own ego and then malice malice is just mean-spirited uh, it's maintaining a vicious attitude and I've met people who are just viciously angry with someone for years and years and years and it just defines who they are and they're really sad people to be around. 
Let me give you, and this isn't in your notes, but I would love you to write this down because it might be helpful for you. Because we all get angry. Let's be honest about it. We all get angry. Let me give you some quick steps uh, when you're in the midst of anger, how to handle it. All right? Really quick. Number one, don't blow up and don't clam up. The two reactions we generally have is we either blow up or we clam up. We, we yell and we scream or we become passive aggressive. We just keep it in, but we throw these snidey comments out, right? And it goes on and on and on. You know, it's snidey, or you just blow up, right? Um, we must reject violence, but also silence, because they're both bad responses in anger. Secondly, take a time out. You do that with your kids, why not with you, right? Come on. <laughs> Take time to think before you speak. Oh, man, I wish I'd listened to that so many times in my life. But, and this is what I was talking about with the whole thing that Carol and I had uh, recently. Get behind your anger. What is it that's causing this? What is going on? Because what you're going to find is there's some other things that happened that day that had nothing to do with this situation. But you brought the anger and the, and the frustration from that situation into this one, and it just kind of piled on. And that's what I found, that there were a number of things that happened that just made this bigger than it needed to be. Number three... This is really important. Attack the problem, not the other person. If it's your wife or your kids or your husband your, or your friend, don't attack them. Attack the problem. You know, when I do weddings, a lot of times I'll use the Ecclesiastes passage where it says two are better than one. And one of the phrases that it has in that is it talks about back to back. And when you think about the old days when they used to fight, many times soldiers would fight back to back. And they would, you know, they would, def, you know, they would take care of the, the person and they would, you know, they would fight that way. And, and that's, I don't know if that's where we got the phrase, but it makes sense that I've got your back, right? But here's what we do in arguments. We want to tell that person they're the problem. No, they're not the problem. You're both the problem, but you have to figure out how to attack the problem and not the person. And that's really sometimes hard to do. The last thing, so don't blow up, don't clam up, take a time out, attack the problem, not the person. And number three, forgive as soon as possible. Forgive as soon as possible. Don't play judge and jury, you're not very good at it. You're really awful at it. So am I. <laughs> I am not a good judge and I'm not a good jury because they're always guilty and I'm always right. And they're always, you know, they're, you're not a good judge, you're not a good jury, and you're not, you've been, haven't been called to be one. And that leads us to the last trait that we read in our passage. We need to forgive as we've been forgiven. Verse 32. Here's what I've learned about forgiveness. Forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. Forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. We want the opposite. We want to feel like we should forgive before we grant it. That's not the way it works. The way it works is you grant it whether you feel it or not. Maybe down the road you'll feel it. 
Forgiveness means that you choose to take the hit, that you absorb the debt, that you don't seek repayment or retribution. That you say, God, this is in your court. This is not mine. I am not a judge. I am not a jury. You know my motives. You know their motives. I'm just going to let them go. I'm going to forgive and allow God to be the final judge. Look at what Romans Paul says in Romans 14.10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, so it's not your job to judge other people. Leave that to God. He's a much better judge. Trust him to handle it. Have you ever said that to your kids? He hit me. Well, she said this. They go on and on and on, right? And what do you tell your kids? What do you say to your kids? Let us handle it. It's not your job to you do that. I've had that conversation too many times with my kids. Well, the scripture says the same thing. It's not your job to manage that. You just forgive them. You know, it's amazing to me that a prayer that I prayed from when I was just a little kid till I was a teenager, and I didn't dawn on me at all what this prayer said. And you all know this prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name, right? And then it says in verse 12 of Matthew 6, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I'd like, forgive us our sins, period. Done. Let's move to the next one, right? No, it doesn't say that. It says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't like that. I don't like it. But you know what? Jesus doesn't really care. In fact, what does our passage say? Forgive as you've been forgiven by him. Right? That's, that's the standard. What do we tend to do? Well, I'll forgive them if they. I'll forgive them when they. I'll forgive them with a condition. It doesn't say that. It just says forgive them. If you want to be forgiven, forgive them. I don't like that at all. But it doesn't matter. Now, here's what can happen. We pointed out four things that we probably can all work on, right? If we're honest, there's four things there. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to say, well, i got to work on this, and i got to work on this. No, don't do that. Just do this. I'm sure there was at least one of those that came to mind. You said, yeah, that's a problem in my life. That's something I really got to get on. Now, you can't do this by just trying harder. You, without the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's probably why, you know, keeping in step with the Spirit may be the most important one, not grieving the Holy Spirit, understanding the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, you don't have the ability or the desire to do what God wants you to do. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll have the ability and you'll have the desire to do it. But here's the thing. Don't get caught up and say, okay, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is allowing the Spirit of God to drive and direct your life. What we're talking about is listening when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And when you do that, when you allow the indwelling Holy Spirit who will never leave you, remember you're sealed until the day of salvation. He may step back, but when you allow him to direct your life, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. So imagine how this world would 
say, wow, that's radical. You, you are radical. You are really different than most of the people I've ever met. And they, they said that because your words were positive. Your words were helpful. Your words were encouraging. Your words created order and beauty and great things in the lives of people. You're, 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 you are a positive person. You, you spoke positive words in my life. You encouraged me when I needed it. Now, by the way, corrective words can be positive words. It's not all just blowing smoke. It's, it's sometimes the same uh, things that need to be said, but in a positive way. Working around and through conflict sometimes. Have you ever been around somebody who's working through conflict and with you and they're very good at it and you feel like they're encouraging you but they're correcting you at the same time? That's positive. That's positive. They're, they're very rare people. If you come across people like that, they're very rare. But how are your words? Secondly, if God allow, are you allowing God to, to, to drive your life, to direct your life? Or are you grabbing onto the wheel and running the pedals? And, and are you willing to just step back and visually see yourself as pulling back and asking the Holy Spirit to take over? How about when... Uh, when you're provoked, do you show resentment and anger and ready to fight? Or are you willing to forgive? And then when you forgive, are you, quickly to, are you ready to quickly forgive and move on? You know, what a difference that would make in our world, wouldn't it? If that took place, what a difference it would make in your life. You want to know how to become the new you? You allow the Spirit of God to take these traits to remind you of God's Word. And you respond different than the rest of the world. And they say, there's something you have that I don't have. And I don't know what that is, but I want it. That's what the world needs to see. Radical Christians like that. That's Paul's point. We're being described as radicals for the wrong reason. Let's be described as radicals for the right reason. Here's just a few, and you can go to last week and... There were some more, but this is what Paul says. When you put off the old and put on the new, when you renew your mind, this is some of the things that take place. This is how you become. This is what the new you looks like. You used to be that, but not anymore. You're this now. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct it, change you. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, whether we're in-house, whether we're watching online, your Spirit is with us and we need your help this change can't come because we try harder or we work at it it can only come as we allow your holy spirit to guide and direct our lives to help us to check our eagles at the door to help us to forgive even when we don't feel like it to get a get a hold of our hearts because our hearts are out of control and our mouth is going off and sometimes we just need to say to our heart shut up Sometimes we need to just change our hearts because we need to feed it. We need to feed our hearts something positive and encouraging. We need to feed it your word more. But most of all, Father, we need to step back and take our hands off the wheel and our feet off the pedal and, and allow your spirit to direct and guide and correct our lives. We can't do this without your help, Father. We have no desire. We have no ability. But thank you that your Holy Spirit doesn't leave us 
when we sin and grieve him, he steps back. But when we invite him to come, he comes back in and he can direct us and guide us and help us. We need that, Father. Help us to be Christian radicals. Help us to be what you designed us to be, the new us. Because without your help, we can't. We pray that we would glorify you this week in how we live our lives, in how we speak, in everything that we do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's sing praise to him as we leave today.
Amen. One of the things that I try to do is I want to try to live my life in such a way that the people I come across that don't know Jesus can say, you may be the first person that I've ever met that truly is what I believe a follower of Jesus Christ should be. And I absolutely mess up all the time. And some of the, th- some of the ways you show that integrity is you acknowledge it when you fail. The world has yet to see what true Christianity is. They have a caricature of it. They know what radicals, uh, what they're told about as being radicals, but they have yet to see what the true church, what the true true Christians really are. Let's show them this week, uh, whether you're in-house or whether you're online. I pray you have a great week. Let me close our time in prayer and ask God to help us because we need his help. Father, without your help, this is impossible, but with your help, everything is possible. And we ask you, help us, Father, to be the people you've called us to be, Help us to live as Christian radicals. Help us to be the new us, the new you. Uh, Father, help us to be everything that you designed us to be. And Father, help us to just learn and grow at least from one or two things that we have uh, considered today. And may we be different for your glory and may people see Jesus in us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name.